Hello, and welcome to the OT Podcast Club podcast. For this episode, we listened to the Occupied Podcast, episode 38, Is Occupational Balance BS? These are edited highlights of our discussion about occupational balance and how we categorise different occupations. Sometimes I start with a starter prompt and sometimes I start with a just open and today I've voted for that. So my starter is just, who wants to start us off with something from the podcast? What did you make of it? I got a bit crossed with it. (laughs) I'm normally very calm. Yeah, I was quite surprised at how, how annoyed I got. I think it was just because they kind of said that occupational balance wasn't a thing, but then quite quickly moved on to something else. And I feel like they kind of didn't justify why they didn't think it was a thing. And and I still think it's a thing. And then I was like, oh, well, you need to like prove your point now. So I got a bit cross with it. Um, But other than that, I quite liked it. (laughs) So let's start with that, because that was the main topic of it, wasn't it? A critique of occupational balance from their perspective. So I don't know whether it was that they were looking at it from a more pure point of view. Like they mentioned kind of like the seesaw and the equal balance, whereas that's not how I view occupational balance. I just, I view it more, I don't know if you've seen that diagram where it's a ship and it's got lots of different compartments in it. Um, And each of the compartments represents different things you may or may not have in your life. You don't have to have all of them. And if it's completely unbalanced and you spend all of your time, say, at work or whatever, your ship will list and it it won't sit properly on the water. And I kind of think of it more like that. So it's not got to be equal. You've not got to do the same amount of each of the different things. That sounds quite cool. I like it as a metaphor. Anyone who has two toddlers and has been to a seesaw knows that it doesn't it's not about equal things like big things nearer the middle equal little things further out so I had this whole rant at my husband about how even if they really are talking about a seesaw it's not about the same things it's forced time distance blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and um yeah it got my back up a little bit as well I well I had similar similar feelings I thought there was lots of good points and I did enjoy like the flow of their conversation but and maybe that was just maybe it was even just to do with the title of the episode I thought that making a big claim like occupational balance is bs like it did hook me it kind of like it got me interested and then I really wanted to hear like explore that more in relation to the three the categories of occupation and disputing and disrupting that but it was just far too brief for my liking and then there was other good things in the episode, but again, not in enough detail for me. It just it didn't get into the nitty gritty of, and um, yeah, I, I think like what you're saying, Kate, I like your point about the seesaw. It's as if it implies two things when even implicitly I was saying, but yeah, there's three different categories that they're disputing and it doesn't necessarily mean you have to have equal proportions, right? Of like that you don't have to spend 33.3% of your time in leisure and another in self-care, another in productivity, but I almost felt like that was the way it was being discussed. I almost think that um, that there's two different things that people have reacted to within this. There's almost like the clickbaitness of the title, that it's sold itself, that it's going to talk about balance, and then, or occupational balance rather, and then it's talked about a little bit of that and a lot of other stuff and then that 
people didn't necessarily agree with how they disputed that critique of occupational balance as well. See, I quite like that meandering tangenty thing because I think that's the way my brain works. <laughs> and that's kind of what Podcast Club is about, isn't it? We kind of take a prompt from a little strand of discussion and blow it up. And that's what we do. It's not so much the meandering. It's I think it's the, because that's what Occupied is like, isn't it? It is a sort of meandering conversation, conversation isn't it? And they're all a lot like that. Um, mm. It is more to do with the clickbaitiness, I think. Mm. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I quite like it when they touch on lots of different subjects. But yeah, I think it was the fact that they said something quite controversial and then didn't back it up. If they just spent another five minutes backing it up, it probably wouldn't have bothered me. But I think because they kind of skipped over it and I was like, oh, hang on, I don't feel like I've understood your point yet. I hadn't listened to that episode before. So I was quite glad that this podcast club was organised as a follow-up because we can take the discussion further now and we can kind of yeah debated out a little bit more and yeah for me it's it's it, it, it's good to critically think because I was thinking like god how many times this week have I said something about balance or you know or how many times have I used even those three categories let's say of self-care productivity and leisure um and so I love rethinking that kind of thing but maybe we can do that together here yeah and I think that would be interesting because I have to say it didn't irritate me at all I didn't like I didn't even register on my scale of I'm cross at it. I understand that aspect of clickbaitness, but also I don't think that their critique of that essence of when we're talking about occupational balance is what we're talking about being about balance or is it about well-being and satisfaction that actually for me that concept of when we're talking about that, actually, we often are thinking about well-being and satisfaction. And I have a very, very strong inclination towards different models for different situations. I find it very suspicious when someone is all in on one model or one theory, because in my experience, that's not been true. And it, it you know, I grew up with Mars Bars adverts which were work, rest and play. Absolutely. And it's, you know, if the advertising agencies can get that that's quite a nice, neat way of splitting up human beings, I think it's a bit quick to just go, oh, well, we've been doing this forever without thinking about it. It must be rubbish, which is how it came across to me. But I was irritated. I think there was an interesting point as well that they said about those categories and our clients don't think in those ways and therefore they're not useful and I kind of thought about that and it's like I, I totally get where they're coming from but actually is not part of our role to demystify that and put it into a language that they would understand because if a brain surgeon told me what he was about to do to my head in technical terms I'm pretty sure I wouldn't understand it however he could probably break it down for me and I'd, I'd get what he was trying to tell me but that doesn't mean his language isn't useful because it it is when he's then writing about it or communicating with other professionals. And similarly, I think the language, the fact that it's quite basic, right? Like, yeah, I've work, rest, play or productivity, self-care, leisure. I think it's a good communication tool. I think I use that quite a bit when for in an initial assessment and describing the role of OT and what occupations are and how we can potentially help people. And I was trying to think about how I might do that in a different way. But actually like the other terms are way more convoluted and I'm not saying they're not 
good and they're not fitting, I actually really want to find out more about them. But I think in terms of a communication piece, like you want to make things, yeah, as simple and accessible as possible in terms of language. And maybe from an occupational science perspective, there's bigger things at work or different ways to conceptualize it. But I think they're, they work pretty well for at least the communication and explanation piece with the client. But on the plus side, what they were saying about actually maybe what we should be looking for was the reasons for engagement. I thought that was really good. Yeah. So you, again, not, that might not be a conversation that you can have in those terms with the client, but you can have it in the back of your mind because you're looking for why they're engaging, what's the motivation and those kinds of things anyway, aren't you, when you're discussing things? So that that could be a useful way of looking at it. Yeah, Absolutely. I really liked that aspect of thinking about the why of it that and listening for that, that that is so important to hear and to understand that subjective experience of the meaning behind something, not just the things that perhaps we can put our own assumptions onto and presuppose the purpose of, and this is productivity in this person's life and this is this, but hearing the why and the meaning of it in their own words, I thought that was really valuable. Absolutely. Because particularly if you're thinking about someone who isn't able to engage in an occupation for whatever reason, how you work on that changes so completely depending on why, what they get out of it. And I liked that bit about tell me more and show me what it is that you need to do so that you can really hear it and see it through that person's eyes. I thought that was um, quite simple, but quite profound all at the same time. But it did make me think, yeah, in practice, like how much chance would you always get to explore everything in that depth? Yeah, I think there's not that many OT roles around where you genuinely get to work on what is someone's real passion and they're often depending on you know if you're in an acute setting it could be an acute physical setting or or wherever actually if you ask them what they're bothered about even if you do have the time to try and dig a bit more with them what they're bothered about is I want to go home or you know I want to be able to go to the toilet and it, it, it's really basic because when you've stripped everything back they just want to be able to do the basic things which they may consider to be related to dignity or just practicalities, whatever the reasoning is behind it. You're not going to get why they want to go and knit squares with their grandma or something. But I think in that example, if you've asked the question, what is it that you want to do? And that's the person's focus, then actually to focus on that is fine. It felt like there's an almost an aspect in some settings where we presuppose the person's focus and because you're in hospital and in order to get out of hospital you have to be able to do xyz that the service would determine these are the things we're going to focus on rather than the person which i do think is subtly different mm -hmm. but then if you're in hospital yeah if you're in hospital and your aim is to go play golf you're not going to be able to go play golf until you've got out of hospital. And in order to get out of hospital, you have to do X, Y, Z. I, I think it's almost that I feel a bit privileged in being able to not have to worry about that. 
and I, you know, I don't want to start um, slating people for focusing on something when that is the job that they are in and that is their role. That feels really mean. Yeah, I felt that. Yeah, and the bit that I thought that to me relates to that is they talked about kind of falling off the bandwagon at one point. And I was like, what do you mean? What is the bandwagon that you're talking about in this context? But in the context of the conversation, it felt like it was about being occupationally focused and remembering that that's the central part of the profession. But I thought it was quite a, I don't think quite the word, almost a perjurative sort of a term to talk about falling off it and being back on it. Does that make sense? A little bit derogatory almost. That's a better word. Thank you, Angie. I think it must be frustrating. I, yeah, I don't work in acute physical health and nor do I think I'm suited to it. But I have an OT student working with me at the moment whose previous placement was in a setting more like that. And now he's in community mental health, which I think is there's worlds between it sometimes, you know. And I'm noticing with him, like we have to, you know, he's very, his last placement, I think, was so on like, timelines and deadlines and discharges and doing that that it's a transition then that you nearly have to unlearn to go at a different pace then and to kind of you know we don't we don't have a specific intervention period it's it's as long as it takes with some clients and um it's incredibly client-centered and yeah I think I'm lucky and privileged because I like I couldn't, I would find it really hard to not work in an area of OT where you couldn't actually focus on what that client really wanted to do and things. Um, And I have friends who work in acute care. um, And it it did strike me that when Alexis was talking, because I think she also comes from an acute care background. I was kind of thinking, like, couldn't fathom, like, what kind of department or very understanding maybe manager she has that, you know, does let her maybe go into the depth and things that uh, she has. Cause from what my friends and colleagues in acute care tell me is like, they, they don't have the scope to do that. It's like discharge focused, equipment focused, you know, safety risk focused. Um, and they can't really get into anything else in their, in their role. Yeah. You've got until they're medically fit and then you better make sure you've done everything cause you're not allowed to be the one slowing up the process. Exactly. I think what we do. I've seen quite similar in community because um, even though mine's like as long as it takes for the children from what I've gathered pre-COVID because I've only seen it when it's virtual is that it was so focused on that these children have handwriting difficulties or they've got a tremor or they can't tolerate noise things like that that it was a process of just kind of fixing it and then moving on whereas since going virtual um, my team's taken on a new approach called co-op and the child has to lead the whole session now so they can do whatever they want. They've got to write the plans for it. They've got to write up after. So they literally lead the entire session. And some of the goals are a bit strange, but I think it's actually been a lot better and the children have engaged a lot more with it. That sounds really good. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I was just thinking if we go back to occupational balance, actually in terms of a lifespan perspective, Actually, that's quite interesting as well, isn't it? Thinking about what we would perceive as being the right sort of balance for a child as opposed to for an adult, as opposed to for an older adult. Is there something in that 
that is interesting to think about? I think that perceived is the word there, isn't it? Uh, it's like perceived hierarchy almost of occupation and not really about need necessarily. Like an expectation of how much time you should spend being productive. Exactly, exactly that. But then, and then time frames are all different as well, aren't they? And the scope of like someone's capacity for the stuff that they're doing. And for me, one of the things that I wrote down, because it, I like to just think about where it's making me think, and I've got the need to do, they talked about that that was where I wrote down shoulds, because it felt like those were the things that were influenced by societal values and expectations and the culture of these are the things that people should be doing. And actually, there's always problems with shoulds almost, isn't there? Because it's about has other people made that decision rather than the person themselves or what has influenced that decision whereas that wants to do often feels like it comes much more from a heart motivation of the individual themselves. Well, I've been thinking about that a lot recently in my practice and what I notice with a couple of people but it's also the internalization of those expectations right and of those yeah. norms so there, maybe the client is telling you, oh yeah, I want to do this. I want to get a job. I want to do it. But actually it is this kind of integration of what they're being told maybe is expected of them or what should be done or what work looks like or what productivity looks like. And I think it's also about un trying to unpick that a little bit and, and see, is it truly what motivates them or what inspires them or, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head with that um, internalising societal expectations because certainly a lot of the people that I work with and probably the same in your scenario, Niall, um, persistently feel like they're never achieving anything, they're never doing anything, which means that they never celebrate the little wins or anything like that, so they're never going to get any, do you know, do you know it's like yeah. a vicious cycle? Exactly. And I think it's, so I also find that yeah, people are, are spreading themselves very thin and not really... I, to link back to the podcast, I liked that whole part that Brock was talking about when he surveyed his students and talked about how many times they're multitasking and like social media comes into it, internet usage in general, and just general multitasking, whereas then people, even if they're in leisure mode, they're not truly in leisure, you know, they're not really um, yeah, in flow or they're not really getting the most out of it that they could because they're also somewhere else, either mentally or physically or or something, their attention is divided and split in a lot of ways. Maybe it's a bit more fundamental than the categories in itself. Maybe it's more than want, like, and need to do. Maybe it's want, like, need and can do. And and rewinding to the, the focus of, you know, occupational therapy is an enabling profession, is a supporting profession. We, we need to celebrate what people can do and not just focus on what they can't do. That's similar to the argument of whether we should be trying to get people to be independent do they need to be independent do they want to be independent actually maybe they don't maybe they want to be interdependent and we should let them do that there's a very big it's again it's that focus on what's expected what society expects you to be able to do and and you know even just within cultures it, it works differently and and people don't want to just be able to manage on their own and i think having that level of awareness of critique over societal expectations is useful all the time isn't it to kind of go well why is it that I think this or why is it that society would say this and how is this influencing somebody's thinking and their choices and their values and 
I, I think that actually the more and more we do that, the more and more it's useful. Yeah, which winds back again to the assumptions that we bring when we start yeah. talking to somebody. And the one thing I did like that they said that actually I thought was quite interesting was they were saying if you're going into a new area, actually you might be better than someone who's been there a long time because you don't have those assumptions. You're coming at it with completely fresh eyes, no experience, and you're going to have to listen to the service user to understand because you're not coming with all those preconceived notions. I liked that bit because at the start where they talked about that and we touched on it somewhere in this discussion about different workplace cultures and I did like that idea of intentionally experiencing different workplace cultures. I thought that was a really useful point to make because the, the multitasking bit, I sort of probably agree with them. You know, I probably do. But I'm very suspicious of people who say, ooh, everyone younger than us is doing it differently, therefore wrong. Because mm. I feel like my parents probably said that about how much telly I watch. And their parents probably said that about the radio. And their parents probably said it about newspapers. Oh my goodness, this awful stuff coming into the home with news in it. Oof. You know, and... and have, have, has anyone seen there, there was a series of art projects where someone had taken photos of people on their phone and edited out the phone oh yeah and, I that. right and put it there and said look how awful it is that these people aren't interacting with each other and I was like well how a how do you know they're not interacting with each other they might be texting each other but but also I bet you if you put a book in place of the phone everyone would be like oh look at those people reading isn't it great mm. It's sort of like jumping to conclusions as well, because people can be, people do their work emails from their phone now. You might be on the phone to like somebody sorting something out important. So I think like assumptions of what people are doing. And like you said about if they replaced it with a book, people might be reading a book, but just on their phone. Mm. Yeah. So it's just yeah. like people are assuming all these people are all, on their phones not communicating but they might all be on the same conference call just working or listening to a podcast like if we were all in the room we we're all looking at our phones now so would people say we're not communicating with each other but that's actually the reason we're on a phone and I think that does come back to again that sense of critique of who gets to decide what occupations should or shouldn't be done by somebody at any one time actually we can almost be quick to perceive that Certain occupations are only done by certain people, which is problematic in and of itself, but also that we can be quick to go, well, actually, certain occupations are or aren't okay. And I think it is good to critique that. I, th I think it's like layers, like Niall said, I think, earlier about using that uh, self-care, productivity, leisure, that, those kind of categories as like in your in initial kind of information gathering or just as a way of making sense of what is this person doing mm. but funny Kate I just had this conversation I just had this conversation in work this week that um also in mental health yeah I think moho is again not for everybody but I think it's often the most helpful model because of its focus on motivation and volition and roles and habituation but yet when I I'm explaining things to clients, I actually end up going more like PEO, like person environment occupation. Cause I think again, that translates the best to explaining what we do in a kind of simple 
easy to understand way. Again, with, with the with the throwing the categorization out, I think that yeah, maybe I would like I would like to maybe get to a place of different categories, maybe more focused on the meaning and the purpose of the occupation. But for communication and for explanations with clients, I'm not sure that something more complex and in depth would work better than kind of things like even the simplicity of of PEO or of like work play rest. I just think that they that's a strength of those things is its um, accessibility. Yeah and I think that often comes together doesn't it that anything that's really accessible and easy to understand sometimes doesn't have the same robustness of depth that it has by the time you unpick it into all its different layers and come up with a really complicated model. And they often kind of go that you're just picking which aspect of that do I want the most, the accessibility and the ease of understanding or the real depth of being able to unpick this into several different component parts. And if you know the other model in your head, you kind of do it anyway. So you might talk to them effectively around the PEO model, but you'll be picking up on lots of different things. And probably more often than not, you could take that barrel of information that you've got and go and put it into Moho or whichever other model you want to do, because you've probably got that detail, but they didn't need to know all of the underlying stuff because they would have completely disengaged. Yeah, exactly. Like my visual prompts on the wall are more like PEO, like this is kind of what we're going to talk about and look at. But my uh, assessment and my kind of thinking is, is far more Moho based, I think. Which I wonder if we go back to Kate's question over occupation categories is almost like the public facing bit of our statements on the wall is about work, rest and play. Whereas actually we have all those different dimensions of meanings and different ways of being able to categorize it in our head that we're listening for different things, even if perhaps that's not coming into the literal conversation. Mm. I think the the fact that it's more complex than the kind of maybe simplistic or overly simplistic representation, I think that's usually highlighted in the fact you always, at least I do, end up having these conversations with the client of, oh, well, like, you know, what is that? What is taking a bath? Is it leisure? Is it self-care, you know? or And the fact that things don't actually often sit neatly into one thing, they're always in the, like, intersection intersections of the circles right so i think that hints at the fact that there's more complexity to these occupations and to do with what the person gets out of it and the meaning that's where that's actually my maybe what i find interesting is can you clearly take apart these things or are they all a big mix of of these different outcomes and these different purposes and meanings i think it depends on how you're looking at it like that whole um the different ways of looking at it when Brock summarised that article, I l- listened to it. And because of what I'm teaching this term, we've taught a lot about doing, being, becoming, belonging. And actually all those different reasons for engagement, I could go into, well, actually that one links with doing and that one clearly links with being and that one links with becoming and then another bit linked with belonging. And I think all of these things are just different things that help us unpick it to understand that the world is more complex, but that there isn't going to be a, I don't think there'll ever be a one size fits all answer or a unpick it in so much depth that it works for everybody or anything like that, because 
my journey in academic is everything you unpick, you suddenly go, oh, it's more complex than I thought. And you can think about it in lots of different ways. And that just seems to be like a statement you come back to time and time again. It's like when you, you're taking a photo and you zoom in and whatever, it's that, it's that different like focus, isn't it? Because if you think, let's go back to making a cup of tea or something, like in a physical setting, if you're watching somebody who's having difficulty pouring from a kettle, okay, you'd watch them try and pour from a kettle and you'd really pull apart. Where was that difficulty coming? And you'd dig away with it. And what? But it's also about that things look really different compared to what level of focus you are at with them, that you can take a picture of a view and you've got the whole of the view and it looks one thing, or if you had a magnifying glass in front of you and you took a picture of one bit in front of it, it would look completely different, but it's a picture of the same thing. Absolutely. That I think that part of what we do when we pick apart a concept is almost that as well, that we go, the broad picture of the concept as occupational balance got anything that it has any meaning and value in our profession and in how we use it is one level of debate. And there's the minutiae look of exactly how do you define it, who determines it, what is it, all of that is a different level of debate. And it's the balance between the different perspectives that's key. Years ago, I kind of got half involved in something called Life Clubs, which was like a coaching model. And they used to do a wheel at the start of it that was part of their assessment And they made the really clear point that actually you can't determine what anyone else's perfect wheel would look like, that balance isn't about having all the same things. It's about, is that what that person wants it to be? And use the example of, if you think of an elite athlete, that actually they spend lots and lots of time focused on doing one aspect of occupations and one part of their life but actually that's exactly how they want it to be because that's where they hit peak performance and that's what they want it to be and that actually it's quite judgmental almost to say that we it shouldn't be like that it because it can be and I think for me whenever I look at occupational balance I hear that in my head which is why I actually quite liked the idea that it's not about balance it's about satisfaction because it's whether that person is doing what it is they want to do not whether they're doing what it is that someone else or they perceive they should be doing. It's interesting how that fits with societal norms, though. Oh, completely. What somebody might want to do all the time is, I don't know, let's go stereotypical. They want to sit and play on their Xbox all the time. My son. (laughs) Not necessarily practical, because the rest of society may get slightly crossed that you're not working and contributing to the rest of society and claiming benefits when you could be working because you've chosen to always be on your Xbox. And then you get into that, well, who's to say whether it's right or wrong or not? And, you know, should they be allowed to play on their Xbox all the time? It depends whether other people mind and and is that right? Mm. See, I don't see that the balance is the wrong word necessarily because I think anyone's balance is their balance. The uh, seesaw analogy everyone's fulcrum is in a different place so you know you might you might be balancing over here if you're an elite athlete if you're a more sort of typical person you might be in the middle and but it is to do with when your personal balance is out of kilter and the impact that has on your life and your well-being as you say that is a problem Mm. it's almost like an inner balance isn't it within yourself Mm. which then links back to the well-being 
Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. Next time, we will be listening to the Lifestyle by Design podcast episode, The Dark Side of Occupation with Dr. Rebecca Twinley. We hope you can join us then.